broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority for which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. So basically we know the example of Alexander the Great, considered one of the greatest people of all time, and he rose up, conquered the kingdom, died at age 32, and the, his kingdom was split into four things. His children were murdered, and it was split into not his posterity. It exactly says what's going to happen, and there's four exact kingdoms that rise up. You think to yourself, okay, if you're a history person, this, you're thinking, well, this is interesting. No, he's writing history before it happens. He's telling you exactly what's going to happen. Think about what this means for your life when you pray to God. When you say, God, do you know what my future is going to be like? God is saying right here, I'll give you details down to the detail. So this reads like a history book. That's how I see your life. Starting with verse 5, there's a detailed account of a northern and southern empire, the remnants of Alexander the Great's successors who fight constantly. There's, like I said, arranged marriages. There's battles. There's exactly what he's going to do. There's exactly broken down. And you can hold the, one of the greatest history books next to it and say, he's doing this three to 400 years beforehand, and he's writing it down to the detail. He even talks about some of the people of Israel fighting with the king of the north. He says, in those times, many, verse 14, many shall rise against the king of the south. This would be the kingdom based in Egypt. And the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. And so he's breaking this down. And then he breaks down one of the, one of the things that's going to change all of history. It's going to change the Christian and the Jewish history. It's called the abomination of desolation. And it says, In his place shall rise a contemptible person, this is verse 21, to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the king by flatteries. So here's a guy that's going to rise up. Now there's a lot of people. Uh, lately I've been watching medical shows. And one of the things I've been told is that surgeons, there's a kind of an accusation that people say surgeons have a God complex. And there's some people who think that they're, they're God's gift to humanity. There, I remember there was certain people, you know, that would be accused of that or they're so beautiful and all of this and things like that. Here, Antiochus Epiphanes, he called, his name means God manifest. That's what he named himself. I am God manifest. That's, that's a little full of yourself, just a little bit. In fact, he printed coins with Apollo and Zeus next to him saying, yeah, we hang out. So Apollo, Zeus, all the Greek gods, yeah, that's me. And, and me. So this is the guy who rises up here. And he, he, he's so full of himself, he says he will have a war that he's fighting against the south, and he will lose, and he'll be so enraged, it says in verse 30, he will take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Verse 31 says in chapter 11, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So basically what he's going to do is he's going to be so mad, he's going to turn on God's people. And the biggest thing about God's people you need to understand is they make sacrifices in the morning and the evening. He's going to stop that. Not only is he going to stop that, he's going to take their altar, take a, a meteorite that he finds that's dedicated to Baal and Zeus together. He's going to take it, stick it on top of their altar, and then he's going to slaughter pigs on it to desecrate the, the temple. This is like the most offensive thing you can think about. It's like somebody coming into our church and doing satanic rituals in our church. 
It's the complete opposite. He's desecrating everything because according to Jewish thing, they're not supposed to have pork. So he, he's taken the pig and he's taken everything to desecrate it. And, and it's what's interesting about him, it says in verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. This is something that we need to hear that's going to happen in the future and it's going to happen, it happen at this time, it happened in the future, and it's, it happens today. There's always going to be some people of God that are going to turn away from what is good and go with what's easy in the world. So here's a guy that comes in that is so extreme that he is insulting the Jewish religion. If you ever meet a Jewish person, do not offer them a bacon cheeseburger. Okay, this is offensive to Jewish people is what I'm trying to say. Pork and things like that. Don't do that. He's so offensive, but people are like, well, he's the leader. We'll just have to go along with it. And it says right here, there are some people that vi- will violate, they'll go with him. And the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. What he's saying is, there's always going to be people who are just going to try to go along. But the people of God, the people who know their God, listen to this, shall stand firm and take action. It may cost you something. Because going along with the government, going along with the culture, that's the easy thing to do. But standing firm with God, as we're going to see, it might cost you something, even up to your life. And it says, And the wise, in verse 33, among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and, and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many, many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it awaits the appointed time. This is another thing that history points out to us. There's hope in this, but we need to understand, today, throughout the world, there are Christians who are dying for their faith. There are Christians today that we, we in America kind of think that, you know what? There's a government act that was, that was put out that makes us uncomfortable and isn't right, or maybe it's not constitutional, and we should fight against those. I get that. But understand, there are people that are losing their lives today, like this example right here. That it says the wise will stumble. He is talking about the wise shall die. And that's hard to see. Because we're sitting thinking to ourselves, that's not the way it should be. All the good people should win. Right? All the good people should be protected by God. Nobody who's wise, nobody who's a follower of God should have this happen. But God has said beforehand, he says this happened when Antiochus Epiphanes does this, it's going to happen in the future. Good people are going to die as a result of evil. When the wise stand up, when the good people of God rise up, sometimes it doesn't go according to what we think is the plan, but God has a plan. It says that he shall refine, purify, and make white during times of persecution. I remember um, talking to people from Romania. Uh, when I was in college, it was just after, it was when the Berlin Wall fell. And we had an influx of Eastern Europeans for the first time and people from the old Soviet Union that would come and tell us about their church experience. And they would tell us, I had a friend I went to seminary with who told me he used to go into the, uh, uh, to the KGB headquarters. I don't know how he got into the KGB headquarters in the Soviet Union. And he would use their copier to print Bibles. And then he, would, he knew how to reset the counter and blow dust on it. It's like a Mission Impossible thing he was explaining to me. But this was just a normal thing what they had to do. And he talked about the, their church 
was pure because you didn't go to church unless you were willing to die for your faith. There was many examples of Romanians who would come over and they would tell us about their church and they would say that there would be people who would come in and they would take attendance. The government would come in and take attendance to who was there and the people that were there could be thrown in jail, they could be killed, and you had to say, I'm going to be strong. But you know what I heard from all those people? How much the church was growing and how much the people loved God through it all. So when God allows persecution to happen, and if God allows our churches in America to be persecuted, understand this, that there is hope in persecution. The Chinese church is being persecuted now like crazy. You know what's happening in the Chinese church? They got church growth like we have no idea. They're just booming. For the time that it was free to be a Christian, eh, Christianity was okay. But now that they're trying to make it illegal, it's booming. Because God is not stopped by governments. God is not stopped by this. And he's saying, you're going to see people that are going to fall, but they will be refined. Your people will get better. Your people will be made, made white, refined and purified by this. And I just remember listening to these Eastern Europeans that would tell us these stories. And now I listen to, um, you know, like my friends from Cambodia that went through the Khmer Rouge and things like that. And they tell us the stories of what God did through them and how their churches have been refined by fire and how much they're more on fire with God. And sometimes you're, you're tempted, I'm tempted, I'm not saying I'm going to, to say maybe we need a little persecution here, okay? Because it sure seems like their churches are doing well because of it. It sure seems like God is doing great things because God is using these things. Because nothing is outside of God. If he allows something to happen, he's, gonna, he's had hope for it. You see, Antiochus Epiphanes, he slaughtered many Israelites and sold some of them into slavery. And he set himself up as a god. It's going to say 36 through 37. He's going to call himself God. He shall not pay attention to any other god, it says in verse 37, because he thinks he's God. Although he says every once in a while he used God, but he's just going okay, worship me because I am a god. Why is there so much on this man? Because what we need to understand is he is the example of things to come. You see, Jesus is going to talk in Mark 13, 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And every time it's going to be in, in Jesus is going to talk about, the book of Revelation is going to talk about, when you see a leader rise up like Antiochus Epiphanes, everybody knows the code. This is the guy. You're going to see other examples of this. People have seen imagery of the Antichrist in this. Understand that the whole imagery is coming from this there are going to be leaders who rise up. Future leaders are going to come against God. The final fight that's going to come against God. But just like Antiochus was defeated, all these leaders will be defeated also. And it may look like they're winning, but he says, Jesus says, look back to that story. Jesus has given him, look back to that story. How did that story go for you? Oh, right, you won, you were purified, you were made better, you were good. A new leader rises up, the Roman Empire rose up and destroyed Jerusalem. Guess what? The church became bigger, stronger, and better because of it. And he's saying, you know what? They destroyed the temple. Good. All right, God's still in control. He's got this under his arm. God is in control of history, but we still have choices. You know what? It's important to understand that there are choices. People might look at this passage, and there's a danger that I was reading through on this. Is there a danger to say, well, God has written the whole future. I just have to kind of float along. And there's some people who think that. They'll use words like karma or fate or things like that. There's a lot of our culture. It's just by fate. 
you know? Or I, I like to some people, uh, one of the things that I always did when I coached kids is they'd always talk about when, it, when somebody did well at a sport, let's say somebody made a really nice hit in baseball, the first thing a lot of the kids on the bench would say, kids, lucky, lucky. Well, maybe he practiced. Maybe he's actually better than we are. I played on a basketball team where there was a lot of luckier people than me, okay? I played on some baseball team, a lot of luckier people than me, if that's the thing. But you know what? There is the whole point of God is in control of history, but we still have a part to play. It says, even though these things are happening, there are some who are going to make a stand for God, and there's some that are going to turn away from God. We still have a place in it. There are some who are going to stand up and say, this is what's right and wrong. God's going to use that, but we need to make a stand. God's in control of history. He's going to do stuff, but he's also calling us to stay faithful to him and do what we're supposed to do. The second thing we see, not only in history, we see hope in the end of time. Look at verse 40 in chapter 11. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He is saying right here that there is a time of the end. Now, the time of the end does talk about Antiochus, but it also is a, a meaning that means there is going to be a time of the end. Do you know when the end times started for the church? People have asked me, when are the end times going to start for the church? I said they've been going for a long time. We are living in the end times. When is it going to end? I don't know. But we are in the times of the end. And we're going to see things rise up that are nobody saw. I remember, I've talked about this. Martin Luther in 1500, he didn't translate certain parts of the Bible. He picked the most important books to start translating because he was convinced that Christ was going to return during his lifetime. And so he didn't want to use his time not wisely, so he chose, I'll wait that book till later because I'm convinced it's going to happen now. There's been other people who are convinced that this is the end. We don't know when the end times are, but we are living in that end times. And what is this is trying to say is we have hope no matter what comes. And this chapter, verse 40, gets a little obscure. Just so you know, 40 through 46 here, it gets a little obscure and some of the imagery starts to get a little cloudy. And we think he's doing that to say this can apply to multiple people at the times of the end. There's going to be things that you're going to see that this is going to make sense. First of all, we need to understand that there, in the hope for the end, there's hope against future powers. There's a theme of prideful leaders that rises up during this passage. Verse 2 talks about the king of Persia who rises up and thinks he can take on Greece. There's no reason for Persia to take on Greece except for his pride. What happens because of his pride? He is defeated. Then a mighty king will rise up, it says in verse 3, Alexander the Great will do as he will. But you know what's going to happen to him? He's going to die at age 32, his children are going to be murdered, and his whole kingdom is going to be a mess after he dies. It says, pride goes before the fall. Proverbs 16, 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse 21 says, there shall rise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And verse 45 tells us what talks about Antiochus. This is your God. If you're going to follow Antiochus and think that he is your God, this is what happens to him at the end. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. You're going to see this, oh, I'm between the sea and the glorious mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. That's the end. 
For we see these incredible leaders. I, I mean, you may have seen the, the movie Downfall about Hitler's last days. And it's an incredible movie. And it just shows, here he is committing suicide. The guy that's going to rule the world. You see all these other amazing leaders. I, I remember when I was in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge is going to run everything. He's running around the jungle trying to stay away from everybody because everybody's chasing him. All these great leaders with all their pride, you know what happens to them? They die with no one to help them. And we need to understand that God has a plan for everything. The rise of multiple powers are going to happen. In Revelation, they're going to talk about the beast and the dragon, talking about the Roman Empire. He's going to talk about the fact that, you know what, the Roman Empire, the greatest empire of all, guess where the Roman Empire is, Ralph? Not around anymore. Everything rises and falls. We have hope. If we see a power that seems like it's overwhelming to us, understand this. God has hope for any future leader. I read some, I, sometimes I should stay off the internet. I think sometimes that's true for all of us, okay? But you look at some books that are written. And I saw one yesterday, and I'm not going to say which way it goes, but uh, it, it could irritate me both ways. It said, for Christians in 2020, this candidate must win or else. Or else what? We, we, we just go home? So in other words, if this candidate does not win, and I've heard it both sides, just so you record, I've heard it both sides, but it's just like, if this candidate does not win because this candidate's so bad and this candidate's so good and this, you know what? There's been prideful leaders before and God has ruled and God still rules. Does that mean we're not supposed to be a part of this? Does that mean we're not supposed to try and find good leaders? No, absolutely not. But for us to be scared and to say, we have to have this leader or else. If we don't elect this person, Oh, no, we're all moving to Canada. Guess what? Canada's got problems, too. Okay, if we called our Canadian friends right now, they would say, no, we're full. You know, just, we're fine. Um, but they would say, hey, we understand, too. We've got leaders that drive us crazy, too. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. Paul says to pray for the emperor. You know who the emperor was that Paul was saying? The guy who lit Christians on fire in his garden. That's a really crazy leader. He dressed them up in animal skins so that animals could, other animals could come up and kill the Christians. And Paul said, pray for the emperor. And Peter says, honor the emperor. Honor? The guy's nuts. And he was. But you know what? God is in control in spite of the pride, in spite of everything that goes on. We have hope for a future. We also have hope in persecution. We talked about earlier about persecution. If you look at chapter 1, or chapter 12, starting in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Anyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There are going to be times of great tribulation. There are going to be times. I can't imagine how horrible this must have been for the time when that you saw your holy altar as a bunch of Jewish people defamed by this ruler Antiochus and have a pig slaughtered on it, have another God put on top of it, and have this whole thing. I can't imagine what it was like for a Jewish Christian to watch the temple be destroyed. 
and say that's our foundation, that's who we are. I can't imagine what it's like for Christians today that are living in countries and they have their children being slaughtered right in front of them or themselves being you know, um, persecuted themselves. I know of countries where unless you've been served time in prison, you're not allowed to be a pastor. So it's kind of one of those things. It must have a lot of people in prison. But they just, I mean, they just say, because it's so commonplace. I can't imagine all those things. But there is hope in, in tribulation. There is hope no matter what the future holds, no matter who is elected in the next election, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what persecution happens, no matter what invasions happen, no matter this, there is hope in persecution. There should be a time of trouble since there, there is no... There has never been since there was a nation till that time. You know what? We don't know what this time is. Some countries are going through this today. We may go through this in the future. This is not necessarily one time. This is times that have happened throughout history. And we need to know that God is with us during that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Anyone whose name shall be written in the book. You say, oh, thank God. We shall be delivered. Right? We shall be delivered. There's no way, and there's a lot of people who think this, nothing bad's going to happen to Christians. It says right here, the the people written the book. Okay, read the next verse. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Basically, he's saying, you will be delivered whether on this earth or if you're killed for your faith, you will be resurrected to eternal life. So some people have an idea that we shouldn't live, and I think this is an American idea, but I think it goes other. We should not have any persecution, or we should, the good guys should always win. You know what? Sometimes people die for the faith, but they are, ever, they are resurrected to everlasting life. In fact, this is one of the most blatant promises in the Old Testament of the future and the resurrection. And everybody has a future. Everybody has a hope. Promise of the resurrection is probably one of the strongest things that we have. The reason that I can do funerals at this church, the reason that we can go through times of difficulty and we see somebody die is we have the promise of the resurrection. When we see a good person die, we don't understand. I always come back to the one in my life where we were just about to graduate from seminary. I've used this story before. One of my friends, the week before, we'd just gone through three years of seminary, he never woke up the week before we graduated. He's 24 years old. Never woke up. Used to get up and run just for fun. He'd get up and run five miles just for entertainment. Yeah, he's one of, he was one of those guys. And like, Randy, seriously, stop that. Uh, but he, he was just one, he was in perfect shape. And you think to yourself, uh-huh. we've all gone through this. What's going on? I remember us all meeting, all of his friends. We're all about to graduate. We're all excited. But where's Randy? But we have hope in resurrection. We have hope that there's a future, that those who are wise, those who are followers of God, those who are written in the book, have hope. And if there's persecution that comes, now we haven't felt it so much, but if there's persecution and we come to the day where we have to give up our faith or give up our life for our faith, we have hope in the resurrection. And not only that, we have hope that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It says that our witness and our testimony and who we are, 
are going to shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I like that instinct. Those who turn people to righteousness have an eternal value. Like the stars in the heaven, we turn people to righteousness. We have an eternal thing that lasts forever and ever. There are people that are a result of our living righteousness that will come to know Christ and will come to be righteous that our legacy will live on and on and on. The people that built the church that we're sitting in right now, the people that, a lot of the people that paid for it, I've done their funerals. They're in heaven right now, but their glory of what they turn people to righteousness exists with us today. And we're here because of their example before us. And we need to understand that this is the hope that we have. The second thing, hope, we have hope when we don't have all the answers. An eternal hope when we don't have all the answers. I struggle with this one. And this is something I've seen Daniel, I've gotten out of Daniel for myself. When Daniel says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. I don't like that. That drives me crazy. Maybe I'm the only one here that drives me crazy. Explain it to me. Tell me exactly how this works. I'd be sitting there going, no, 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 no. You're not leaving until I understand this exactly. And, the, the, and God's up in heaven going, you're not going to get everything. All right? We think that we're supposed to understand everything that was in the visions of Daniel. We think we need to understand everything that's in Revelation. We think we need to apply everything. There are books, and I was reading some of them, looking through some of them yesterday going, oh my goodness, please stop. Um, of people that try to explain everything that's in the Bible. There's a new one that came out where they said that the book of Isaiah predicts Mark Twain. No. I just want to state that for the record. No. Okay, please. No. Or they'll say that this prediction was written in this book and, and they lived in the desert and they were thinking about America and they wrote this and and my other favorite one is the grasshoppers in the book of Revelation that represent attack helicopters. And, and we've got it all figured out. And this many days means this. And you don't, Daniel doesn't understand. Well, how many times did John say, ah, in the book of Revelation? I'm writing up, and there's, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to write this down? What? But he does. But we don't have to understand, but we know that God understands. God gives us all the answers that we need. Stop trying to fill in the gaps and accept what God has given us because we don't need to know what we don't need to know. And if we knew, it would actually be worse for us. That's one of the hardest things. If we knew something that was going to happen, it would be worse for us. So just accept what God has given us. There's two angelic beings that start talking in verse 12. And they ask, when is this going to happen? And many have tried to say, because they give examples of this many days and this many days, and people have tried to fit this all together, but I think they both give two different answers, is to let us know, you're not going to be able to figure this out. You're not going to be able to figure this out exactly. But you know what? Um, we need to understand that we can have hope. Verse 8 says, Then I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Basically what he's trying to say here is when they read this in the second century and the third century, when they read this, they're going to understand what this means. You're supposed to write this and some of this you will understand, some of this you won't. But when this came true and everybody saw Antiochus rise up, 
There's a reason. There are commentators that are convinced that Daniel wrote a false prophecy. That he made the, he, there's no way he could have written this. So there's even Christians who say, well, he must have wrote this during the time that this, or right after the time this happened. No, he wrote this for those people and said, seal it up till the end for them so they will understand that God had this under control. But word, seal up the words and understand you're going to understand when you need to understand. And that's tough for us to accept, but we have to let God be God. And then he gives, it, lastly, instructions for living in hope. Verse 9, he says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up. 13, But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. You know what we're supposed to be doing about the end of times? Going our way and doing what God called us to do. He doesn't want Daniel to sit there and try to figure out every vision. He's not asking Daniel to write the next book with the greatest charts that figures out how America, Canada, Mexico, and, uh, um, you know, Venezuela fit into every prophecy in the Bible. That's not what he's asking him to do. He said, go and do the work. You know what the Bible says that we're supposed to be doing? Stay awake, Jesus says. Stay awake, keep busy doing the work of God till the end. It's, it's throughout the Bible. It's in Thessalonians. It's in, it's in Mark. It's constantly. Jesus is saying, keep doing the work. He's telling Daniel, go your way and understand that you shall rest and you shall stand the allotted place at the end of the days. You shall accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish if you follow after me. You have purpose in persecution. And he says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. He said, wicked people, I know this is shocking. This is like when I tell people, they said, you know what? There's a lot of sin in our world. And I say, okay, walk this through with me. Are these people sinners? Yes. So by definition, what do sinners do? Well, they sin. Then why are you shocked? And this is kind of a little thing. He says, the wicked shall act wickedly. Okay, that, I, mean, I know that's just profound. You might want to write that down. Okay, and he says, and the many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked are going to do bad things to you. They're going to act this way, but understand that God, but none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise, understand, wise shall understand. We will have the understanding that we need when we are going through times of persecution. We will understand why, and I want to close with this passage. Romans 8, 35 through 39. When we're going through tribulation, we're going through times, you may be going through a tough time, you may be going through something in your life, but this passage is something you need to hold on to. It's the same thing, it, it encapsulates a lot of what we were just talking about. Paul says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Wait, 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 wait. I thought being a Christian meant that we were blessed all the time. Everything's going our way. Wait a sec. He says all these things, right? And as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, again, I don't know. I like the other verses that say that everything's wonderful and you get to be a Christian and claim whatever you want. Doesn't match up with this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. In other words, if we are sheep being slaughtered, if we are put into a concentration camp someday and killed for our faith, we are more than conquerors when that happens. We need to understand that because we are following exactly what God wants us to do. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in this life. We have hope in spite of everything. Everything that he's describing there, I'm not liking hearing it. These are not my happy thoughts here. Nakedness, distress, persecution, being a sheep led to slaughter. He says we are more than conquerors and we have hope in Christ Jesus that we are never going to be separated from his love. We're never going to be separated from his purpose and we have hope eternally. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you need to understand this today, that Jesus has a plan for you. Jesus wants to give you eternal hope. One of the, it's so nice when you preach a passage that talks about the fact that we have a future. Everybody in this building, everybody that you meet this week has a future, has an eternal future. It talks that everybody will be resurrected in the end. Some to shame and contempt and some to hope. And we need to understand that we have a choice whether what side we want to be on. Whether we want to accept Christ's answer for us or we want to go for it on our own. Because we all have a future. So today, make that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to give you eternal hope. He wants to make sure nothing separates you. Uh, his love from you. He wants to make sure that your sins are forgiven, that you're restored, that you have hope in any circumstance in your life. But he also wants you to take that to your neighbors. I love one of the lines, and I can't remember the author, and I don't want to mess up with the author. He said, you have never met a person that will not live forever. You have never met with that person who crossed the street from you, the person that drives you crazy, the person that you just can't stand, the person maybe it's on a whatever. That person has an eternal future. What are you going to do about it? What are we called to do? We're called to bring the gospel to people knowing that there is an eternal future for all of us. But if you want to make that commitment today, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. For the rest of us, I want you to understand no matter what is going on in your life today, no matter what is happening, whether you are on the doorstep of death or everything is rolling along like you've never had it roll on before, nothing can separate you from God's love. You are exactly in God's purpose. His plan, you are shining like the stars in the heaven if you are following after God. Because he has a hope, he has a purpose, he has a plan for what you are going through. He wants you to turn your heart towards him. He wants you to say, God, I know you can make something of this. And understand that no ruler, no crazy person in your life, no boss, no politician, no leader, no anything can separate you from God because he gives you eternal hope from him. Now I'm about to give a closing prayer, but what I want to do is I, when I dismiss everybody, I, I just want to give you one line before I do this, and I want to start closing our services a little differently. What I want you to do 
is one of the things that we have in our church as one of our uh, connecting people to God, each other, and their mission. The second one is connecting people to each other. I think it's more importantly now, it says, as, the, as Hebrew says, as the day, uh, the end draws near, that we should never forsake the gathering together of the believers. And it's very important today, and it's very important every Sunday, it's very important every time that we do, that we take time to continue to worship after the service by connecting with other people in the church. By making sure you talk to a few people that maybe you've never talked to before, maybe you have talked to before. But let them know that you're glad to see them today. And I want to end all of our services with connecting people to God. There's a time that we have prayer ministers available if you want to make a commitment to Christ. You want to have somebody pray for you. But I also want to make sure that we're connecting people to each other. So I just want to let you know that that's why I want to end every service. We have some people, we have our extended greeting time at the end. Don't worry, the ushers are not going to block the doors until you shake four hands. So. <laughs> that would be an idea, though. Okay, no, no, i got to get over that. All right, so let's just close in prayer. God, I want to thank you today. I want to thank you today that we have hope because of you. God, you gave Daniel hope, and I love that line still, I do not understand when Daniel says that. I do not understand everything that has happened. I, don't understand. I can think of his life. He didn't understand why he had to be thrown to lions, why he had to be brought into exile, why he had to go through all of these things. And why he saw these visions of these horrible things that were going to happen. But God, you said you had a plan and a purpose and a hope. And nothing was going to separate them. And there's eternal hope for him. And God, we just thank you today for that hope that we have in you. And God, let us grasp the hope in our lives. But God, let us be a people of hope to our community. Let us go tomorrow to our school, our workplaces, wherever we go. And let us bring this hope to them. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our altars are available. Now connect with one another.